This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you on this Saturday morning. And we have so much information to share with you. This is now our 53rd consecutive show dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And much of the information we have today is very hopeful. But along with that hope and these trends that we're seeing uh, that are positive, there is a tale of caution. So we're going to talk about all of that today. We're going to talk about vaccinating children, some of these breakthrough positive cases. And we're going to have a guest, and that is Dr. Josh Mosdale. Uh, Dr. Mosdale is a primary care internal medicine specialist. And it's really the primary care physicians who have had the greatest experience with following patients who have had COVID-19 and counseling families going forward. So I really wanted to get someone on, and this is his first time on our show. So in the second half of today's program, we're going to chat with him and, and find out what it's like in his world of treating families as a primary care physician. As always, we like to look at the scorecard. And uh, in this case, the scorecard is looking better. Um, at this time, we have the lowest positivity rate in the United States that we've had in 11 months. And that positivity rate is 2.2%. Keeping in mind, we've had over 592,000 deaths in the United States related to COVID-19. Our daily death rate in the country is between five and 600. Now, don't forget, in January, that number was 4,000. So clearly, the numbers are moving in the right direction. And why is that? Well, we've got a vaccine. We're finally able to play offense in this battle. Over 169 million Americans have received at least one dose. That's almost 51% of the population, and over 136 million have been fully vaccinated. That's about 41.2%. Looking at the state of Connecticut, and that's where the numbers really shine. Our positivity rate is now down to 0.9%. And the seven-day trend has, in general, been below 1%. And this is tremendous, tremendous progress that we've made. Over 63% of our total population has gotten at least one dose, and more than 53% are fully vaccinated. So Connecticut is one of the states that's really leading the country in our efforts to get the vaccine out. But again... That number is 63.6%. We want to get that number higher so that we can protect everybody, including the folks who cannot be vaccinated. 
and I've said it on this program before, that is not an insignificant population. There are many people who take immunosuppressant medications, whether it be for autoimmune problems like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, uh, people with multiple sclerosis. There are so many people who have cancer who are on immunosuppressant drugs. Some have been vaccinated, and it has worked for them, but for many it has not been effective. And that's why we have to protect them as well. Not even mentioning children. Don't forget, we cannot vaccinate children under the age of 12, and they can get COVID-19. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. This week, I had the pleasure of seeing a patient, and it was a, a son who I was seeing, a, a teenage son and, and his dad. And I naturally asked if they'd been vaccinated. And the father said, oh, yes. And, and my son was vaccinated. And I was a little surprised because it's a little early on in that. He said, we were part of these studies for Moderna. So they'd been vaccinated actually in 2020 as part of the ongoing studies in the use of the vaccine. Think of the risk they took. You know, I'm hearing all this talk, but one of the reasons people tell me they're not being vaccinated is because there's not enough time. We don't have enough information. Let me explain something. The issue of time is really, in, in using vaccines and drugs, is a question of how many people you can have experience with, meaning how many people get the medication or get the drug that you can follow. What's happened with COVID-19 is we have plenty of people with that illness. It's not some rare cancer or rare blood disorder. So there has never been more experience with the vaccine in such a short period of time. So there's plenty of experience with the medication. So I don't buy the idea that there hasn't been enough time. But just think, putting that aside, what this father and son did to protect all of us was to enroll in a study, be given a vaccine, and be part of that. And I actually believe the father didn't get the vaccine. He got the placebo. But when the study was completed uh, for Moderna, he then uh, got the vaccine. So, again, there are people out there who are putting their own interests aside to help others. And that's what I ask people to do who are somewhat vaccine hesitant. I can't get to the people who are vaccine defiant. I mean, just, you know, people who think there's some nanotechnology being injected in them to follow them, uh, I don't think I can reason with those folks. But as far as the vaccine-hesitant people, I think we just have to get more information out to these folks. And that's why I'm enlisting the help of everyone who listens to this program. People who listen to a program like Healthy Rounds are concerned about their health, and, and I have to think the overwhelming majority have been vaccinated. But they probably have friends or family members who are still sitting on the fence and not sure. And that's why I want to give you this information to really share with them. The other trend we've seen is less of a need for COVID testing. As I said, the COVID positivity rate has dropped 
dramatically. So with that, don't forget, when we started this, it was identification, isolation, contact tracing. Identification, get the testing out there. Well, we've done a good job of that now. This year, we've done a tremendous job of getting more testing, finding out where these pockets of disease are. But now that we have effective vaccines, it's less necessary to repeatedly test. Because people who have been vaccinated, even though they may contract the virus, one, are not symptomatic, two, cannot spread the virus. So whether they are positive or not, and we have taken the precaution. You could see that in baseball all the time. They'll talk about who's positive uh, among a major league team. But none of those people became ill. Out of an abundance of precaution, they isolated them from the rest of the team. And we'll talk a little bit about how this has affected major league baseball. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back. We're going to talk about the effort to vaccinating teens. We're going to talk about some of our experience in Major League Baseball and why things are changing. And one of the big questions I want to tackle is, what are the rules regarding a mask? Because I'm as confused as anyone. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. For folks who want to reach out to me during the week, the email is info at alessimd.com. Um, and if you want to comment on the program, uh, anything that has come up, and actually I'm going to throw some topics out there at the end of the show um, that may be of interest to you. Uh, I mentioned Major League Baseball uh, a little while ago, and it was interesting because uh, in looking at it now, 20 of the 30 Major League Baseball teams have now reached 85% of vaccinated staff. Um, that's including all the Tier 1 staff of coaches and players. And that has allowed them to start relaxing some of the protocols with respect to mask wearing. Uh, last week, uh, they did 9,000 tests in Major League Baseball and the positivity rate was 0.02%. So it has really become minuscule. And actually, since the beginning of the season, they've done 185,000 tests on players and coaches, and their positivity rate has only been 0.03%. So with that, uh, we're seeing more lax protocols in terms of mask wearing, and isolation when traveling. So what was happening last year is when they got to a city, they got tested, and then they're quarantined. Um, now they're starting to loosen up so that they can go be allowed out. Uh, many of the players would tell me that it was really kind of like being in prison um, because you really are um, quarantined to your hotel room until you go to the stadium. And even there, it was very limited. Also, we're seeing increased capacity of ballparks. Ballparks are starting to open up um, to full capacity. Again, it's a great situation because it's an outdoor activity, and we know that there's less spread of the virus outdoors. Naturally, once again, people who are unvaccinated need to wear masks in these surroundings. And that brings us to 
when do I need to wear a mask and when don't I need to wear a mask? Now, based on my assessment of the situation and the data that's come out so far is that if you are fully vaccinated, that you are safe from the standpoint that if you get the virus, you will not become gravely ill or ill at all, nor will you spread the virus to others who are unvaccinated. Obviously, being outdoors is much safer. When indoors, I am finding that there are various interpretations of this. Perfect example, here in Connecticut, we have two casinos. At the Foxwoods Casino, all patrons and employees must wear masks, whether you're vaccinated or not. And if you go to an entertainment venue, you have to have rapid testing before they will let you in. And that's going to start uh, towards the end of this month. I believe they have Dave Chappelle there. Now, at Mohegan Sun, uh, you do not have to wear a mask on the casino floor if you've been vaccinated. If you are not vaccinated, you need to wear a mask. It is the honor system. Not something we hear a lot of these days, but it's the honor system. Nobody is screening you, asking you for your passport or your card. When at Mohegan Sun in the venues, they're now opening up. Next week, uh, we will be the second venue opening up to full fans. Now, I shouldn't say full, just opening up to fans to a limited capacity for MMA. And I will be there working at ringside next Friday. For Mohegan Sun basketball games, they have opened to limited capacity. So they're using limited capacity uh, for June and July, come August, full capacity. But here's where my confusion comes in, and I think for most of you. When you go to a store, so I went to several stores this week. I was at Lowe's, where no mask is required. Uh, I was um, trying to think of other stores I went to. Uh, for many, it was no mask required. But then I went to CVS, and there's a big square mask. But for many of these stores, they are making masks, and they say that it's because they want their customers to feel safer. Uh, if they've been vaccinated, I don't have any problem with them not wearing a mask. Uh, that came up at the bank where I inquired. Uh, and uh, we were in a, I was in a store with my wife, and, and the same thing came up. But there are still places that are requiring. And one of the problems could become beaches. So many beaches all have different requirements. In eastern Connecticut, they were looking at it, and they went through the whole list. Again, these are outdoor venues. It's less likely that you're going to spread that, especially if you're spread apart. If you're in a crowded area, it's more likely that you could spread the virus to someone who is unvaccinated. Nevertheless, they're asking us to wear masks on airplanes. And I don't know that it's a requirement for COVID-19, but I will tell you this, my experience. I, in the, other than the past year, I do a lot of flying as part of my work consulting for professional sports organizations. For years now, I have been wiping my seat down with Purell wipes. 
and it's made a difference because I used to get the sniffles and a cold often when flying. I haven't had that problem. I don't know why. I, I, it must be the surfaces that are not being cleaned. Could be the air system. But I probably plan on wearing a mask for a while. And the reason is, in talking to one of my sons-in-law, who's a pediatrician, he didn't see one case of the flu this year. Not one for a pediatrician. So with that, we know that seasonally, masks work. In certain situations, masks work. If I'm not feeling well, whether I'm required to wear a mask or not, I'm going to wear a mask in front of patients to protect them. So I think we've learned a lot, but we need to get things clear here in terms of how businesses are interpreting the guidelines so there's less confusion overall. Something we've talked about on this program before has been booster shots. Uh, we're learning a lot about them. And there's thought now that people who have received the messenger RNA vaccine, such as Pfizer or Moderna, um, don't rely just on the antibodies to protect themselves. And with that, may not need boosters. So we're learning. So please don't take these things as, oh, they changed their mind, they were wrong, whatever. We're learning. We're learning that you may not need a booster if you've had one of those. If you do need a booster, it may not have to be as soon as one year. And the reason is because we believe that these vaccines impart some memory into your immune system so that if you are now exposed to COVID-19 or a coronavirus, your bone marrow, your plasma cells will remember how to fight that infection. So we're learning quite a bit about it. Uh, the last thing I want to mention before the break is vaccinating teens. This is important. Okay, we need to protect our children. And the latest report were that in March and April, the numbers of children who had to go to an intensive care setting in this study, 204 were studied. One third had to go to intensive care. Five percent needed mechanical ventilation. And that's important. Why was it affecting young people? Because the people over 65 were already vaccinated. So we need to start vaccinating children and making sure our children get that. Right now in, in Connecticut, it's 60% of ages 16 to 18 are now vaccinated, only 35% of 12 to 15-year-olds. But we need to keep in mind the reason the numbers went up is because we had more transmissible variants. We had a return to school in March and April in person. And we had a decline in the preventive behaviors that we use, such as physical distancing and mask wearing. So in order for us to get our way out of this, it's apparent that we need to include young people in this vaccination program and need to put all our efforts behind that so that we could protect our most valued treasure here in this country, our children. With that, we're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Josh Mosdale. He's the Associated Medical, Associate Medical Director for Quality and Value-Based Care for Trinity Healthcare of New England Medical Group. He's an internist. 
He's going to give us some perspective on what it's been like to be a primary care internal medicine specialist during COVID-19 pandemic. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome my guest in this half of the program, Dr. Josh Mosdale. Dr. Mosdale is a medical doctor. Thank you for having me. Hey, great to have you, Josh. Um, By way of introduction, I want to let everyone know that you are the Associate Medical Director for Quality and Value-Based Care at Trinity Health of New England Medical Group, and you specialize in internal medicine and primary care, and you are part of a practice at Prospect Primary Care Partners. Josh, can you tell everybody what you do? What is your day like? Well, I'm fortunate enough that most of what I do is practice medicine, general adult medicine, what people think of primary care on a day-to-day basis. And in conjunction with some of my other duties in terms of the quality care that we we look at at Trinity Health in New England, um, I kind of help with the vaccine clinic that we have where we vaccinate folks with COVID um, vaccine every day. And as part of my other duties, I also make sure that we're providing good, safe, efficacious care to uh, people every day. Well, let's talk about the vaccine clinic. You're right there all the time. What are you seeing in terms of trends of people coming in and getting vaccinated? Are numbers, uh, how are they, are they holding steady in your area? Because you're in the prospect area. Um, what, what are you finding? We found that, you know, in the beginning when we were around the, uh, I'd say, 50-plus group, uh, we couldn't get enough vaccine out there. And I've noticed, I think, over the last 30 days, maybe 45 days, that we've definitely seen a downtrend in the number of people that are coming in to get vaccinated. And obviously, do you think it's because people, you know, what do you think the reason is? Because now we're getting into the younger age group. And I'm assuming, do you also give vaccine to teenagers now? Correct. We vaccinate to uh, 12 years of age and up um, as we use the Pfizer vaccine, which is what is currently approved for that age group. And I, I think that right now we do see some vaccine hesitancy in, in younger folks um, who may think that COVID cannot affect them um, as much as it was with older people. And while I do think statistically that is true, you have a much lower risk the younger you are of having a severe case of COVID, I also have seen people as young as 18 years of age and my pediatric colleagues see something called multi-inflammatory syndrome in children um, where any age of a person can have severe COVID. And I think that's the message we really need to deliver to folks who are younger right now and are kind of thinking about vaccination to let them know that you can't really predict sometimes you can have very healthy individuals who can get very, very sick and hospitalized with COVID, even die from COVID, who are otherwise healthy, young, normal people. And we've seen this in athletes. I mean, if you want to take the best specimens um, in terms of overall health, uh, we look at competitive athletes, and uh, many of them have been sidelined and, and bedridden and have um, what was, what's come to be known as the long hauler syndrome. Can you talk a little bit about your experience treating adults and families who have had COVID and recovered from COVID. Um, You know, what has been that perspective? 
it's extremely variable. And you, you know, you have some folks who may not need to be hospitalized. So these patients who are able to stay home do not need oxygen therapy. Um, however, they still have persistent cough, persistent shortness of breath. Some people describe some brain fog type symptoms where they don't seem to feel like they concentrate as well. And I've seen patients that have had that persistently for months. Now, if you have folks who are in the hospital, so patients who required oxygen, for example, similar things can happen to them when they're out of the hospital. But people also forget some of the complications with clotting that we see with COVID. So sometimes you get people who get the COVID disease and also get something like a clot in their lungs or a pulmonary embolism. And that can require longer-term treatment. And that's also more difficult for them to recover from. It can be a months-long process. So those are things that I think people see people who are at home doing okay with the disease and then forget that sometimes other complications can arise, particularly if you have other health problems, or you can just have long-term problems, which kind of linger for months. You know, just in what you've said, you've raised another question in my mind, and and that is, um, I see patients with, with that come in with this brain fog and forgetfulness. Do you think that that's a function of directly from the infection of COVID-19, or is it an indirect effect from people who have had respiratory compromise from COVID-19, from lowering their oxygenation for a period of time? Well, what's your experience? What do you think? That's a great question. Um, I, I don't know that I think scientifically we know. My my think is it's probably a little more multifactorial than that. You're absolutely right. Brain tissue is very sensitive. And the things that brain tissue wants the most is oxygen. And the way you get oxygen is blood. So if you have a disease which lowers oxygen levels or can have localized small clotting issues, that brain tissue can definitely get damaged. And I think we're not quite sure what that inflammatory likely process is, but it definitely exists. And I think that you're right. Certainly lower oxygen levels are playing a large role there. As a primary care physician, you treat multiple members of the same family. Uh, what was your experience with COVID-19 where one member of the family gets it? In general, would everyone in the family then get it or only some people or anything you could think of that made some sicker than others? Yeah, so there, there certainly is, you know, when at the time we were doing telehealth and um, let's say a uh, an adult member of the family, a mom or a dad would get COVID, a huge amount of, of fear that you can hear in their voice when they're thinking about their children and their household. And I'd say most of the time, probably 90% plus, every single person in that household would get COVID. And it would, some people did, you'd have the mom or the dad who did just fine. They had a cough, they felt a little bad, but they recovered well. You'd have other members of the family who would be sick for a long time and even hospitalized. Um, obviously the worsening health issues you have at what we would say your baseline plays a large role, but again, it can be under, unpredictable. And, uh, I think that was one of the biggest takeaways I had was, you know, as a parent myself, the fear that you could contract something and then give it to other people in your household whom you love very much and don't want to see get sick. And, you know, sadly, I'm not seeing that now, uh, in people who don't want to be vaccinated. So people who are refusing vaccination, I'm not seeing that same level of caution in them to be around children and grandchildren. Um, are you surprised by that? 
I think we're getting to a point where people begin to believe in herd immunity, which herd immunity is a basic scientific concept, but they start to think that everybody else is going to protect them. And obviously the, the fallacy of that is if everyone thinks that way, then we'll never have herd immunity and you can't be protected from community spread around you. And I think that as people notice others around them who've had COVID and they hear these anecdotal stories, so not scientific stories, oh, my neighbor got COVID and they were fine. They forget that this can be extremely serious and they're kind of taking some of these stories around them and applying it in a 100% certain way, which I think is wrong because that's, what, that's when we fail, that's when people get sick and that's when your loved ones can get harmed. I'm going to take a short break. Now we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Josh Mosdale. I have a lot of questions about vaccination and some of the questions he gets from patients that I'm sure many of our listeners also have or have been asked by family members. We'll be back shortly. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and my guest, in this final segment has been, is Dr. Josh Mosdale. He is Associate Medical Director for Quality and Value-Based Care for Trinity Health of New England, and he practices medicine with the Prospect Primary Care Partners. Josh, one of the things we've been talking about is people getting vaccinated. And do you hear from people, first of all, we folks who have had covid so sometimes I'm hearing from people, why should I get vaccinated? I already had COVID. And can you dispel that fallacy? Yeah, that's a great question. I hear that every day. And one of the things that we scientifically do not know is if you were to get something like COVID, how long does your immunity last for? We don't know the answer to that. And if you think of other coronaviruses which have existed, which coronavirus is very common to cause things like a cold, Everyone gets colds all the time. So that immunity that you have against getting, for example, the cold doesn't seem to last very long. And with COVID, we are very confident that this immunity that you have built up will not last forever. In conjunction with that, when you look around the world at the COVID that's continuing to spread, there are variants which are being created. And we don't know if the strain of COVID that you may have gotten when you were sick will protect you against one of the variants in the future. That's a very good reason to get vaccinated so that this doesn't happen to you again and potentially even more serious than the first time. Josh, what do you think is the biggest objection that people have to getting vaccinated? I think that people are under the belief, and I think we all have this to some degree, is that it can't happen to me or I can't get sick enough or I'm young enough. And all of those things, like we said, isn't true because COVID can treat you a bit like Russian roulette in that it can happen to anybody at any time. There's no prediction um, in some cases of who can get really, really sick or not. Again, the belief that others will protect you by getting vaccinated. And then people tend to have, I think, a little bit of almost a conspiracy theory of maybe the vaccine can track me somehow, which... I think if you have a cell phone in your pocket, it's probably more efficient to track you that way than to vaccinate people. And then people get concerned about other things they hear from other people, things like it could change your DNA or affect 
your fertility, your ability to have children, things like that. Yeah, I agree. I've heard all of those. Uh, more, one of the biggest ones I hear is, I never get sick. I never get the flu shot. Why should I get this? And uh, I, Yeah, I love that question because I say to people, have you ever gone through the windshield of a car before? No. Then why do you wear a seatbelt? Because the, the downside there is pretty big, right? Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, and, and really, how do you approach a vaccine-hesitant patient? And I'm not saying the resistant patient, because there are some people out there there's no way we're going to get to, right? I mean, mm -hmm. um, the people who believe that this is a government conspiracy to track what they do or alter their DNA, um, I, I just don't know that I'm going to convince those people. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who still have um, this hesitancy or some resistance. How do you approach them? For example, do you ask all your patients if they've been vaccinated? Yes, I personally consider it to be a part of their preventative care. So if I'm talking to them about things which are other, you know, maybe flu shot or a tetanus vaccine, um, mammogram or a colonoscopy, I include COVID vaccination as part of that just standard preventative conversation. Yeah, I agree. And actually, even as a neurologist, I ask patients um, because I think it's it's become an important part of uh, rendering care. But when they say no, what's your next response? I usually ask them why. I, and you want to do it, in, in my opinion, as a physician, as we always should, um, in a non-judgmental or confrontational way. Because as physicians, I think our job is to meet the patients where they are. And most of the time, it's just that they haven't had the conversation with someone who's an expert in medical care. They've heard it from neighbors or friends, family members. They've seen things, you know, on Facebook and they haven't had the opportunity to ask the questions. And I think one of the biggest statements I hear sometimes is, well, this is a new vaccine and we don't know how it works and we don't yes. know how things are in the long term." Right. And that I, I tell people, a couple things. One, that's not quite true. So this mRNA or messenger RNA, this is technology that actually was beginning to be developed in the 90s and has been something that has been continuously researched since then. Messenger RNA is something that cannot go into your DNA. Um, it interacts with something called a ribosome, which I also ask patients to realize that in antibiotics, a lot of antibiotics also interact with your ribosomes. So this isn't something that's new or, or crazy. This is kind of the continuation, the next step of science, which has been around for a very long time. So I, I encourage people, don't be, don't be fearful of this because people think it just got pushed out the door quickly when this is something that's actually been around for a long time, has been studied and seriously studied since the first, if people remember the SARS outbreak in, in uh, China back in the early 2000s. We're at COVID, we're on SARS-CoV-2, which is a very, very similar disease. Um, so we've been studying it since then. So uh, here's a question. When, when you ask the person why, have you had patients who then go on to try to educate you about the immune system and how it works? Uh, because I always find that somewhat hilarious um, that uh, <laughs> they will go on and and not only question you, uh, but think that they are educating you as a physician on how. Well, one of the funny things is uh, I do a lot of 
pre-fight physicals uh, before MMA and boxing events. And I asked sure. the fighters if they have been vaccinated, and overwhelmingly they have not. But will go on to try to educate me as far as how the immune system works and how the virus works. Uh, one day I said, I don't even know why I went to medical school. I just had to come here to Mohegan Sun and do pre-fight physicals. But <laughs> do you have those patients who go on to try and do that? Well, yeah, absolutely. And what I tell these patients is that, you know, just because you have a body doesn't mean you're an expert in that body, right? So there's a lot of knowledge, which people, I think, forget a long, long amount of hours that we put in to really understand how this works. And, you know, while I certainly respect everyone's autonomy with their own bodies, we just have to remember that you're not an expert in it the same way if you go to a mechanic you don't tell them how they need to fix your car, right? You just ask them to do it, please, and they do it well, and you're, you're very thankful and you're safe. It's a yeah, similar and, thing there. Yeah, and I want people to understand that we're trying our best to keep them safe and keep them healthy because it doesn't benefit anybody if they become ill, if they lose days at work, if they spread the virus to young children. It doesn't help us. If they have to go to the hospital it costs all of us, okay, um, in many respects. Um, where do you see this all going in terms of uh, primary care? And um, this is kind of a global question. Um, uh, for example, are more people utilizing primary care as they should as opposed to specialty care? I mean, that's been our overwhelming desires to get everybody to have a primary care physician before they end up seeing me or an orthopedist or some other specialist. So in the field, uh, in the field of internal medicine, primary care, are we getting there? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think we're, we're kind of at a crossroads where people have access to more specialists than ever before in, in medicine. And medicine is becoming increasingly complicated and more specialty driven in some places. What I tell people to remember about primary care is that as an internist, someone who does internal medicine, we have two major rules. One is preventative care, so we want to prevent you from being sick, and having a good relationship with us so that we know you and we're familiar with you and you and your family, we can do much more to help you. So seeing me at least once a year, if you're on medication every six months or more, is extremely beneficial. Two, as an internist, our other major job is to diagnose your problems. So before you go to the specialist and want the specialist to diagnose you with something that you may think you have, it's a good idea to see the internist first and let me, one, guide you, two, diagnose your problem, and three, some of the frustrations that I think someone, for example, like a neurologist might have is in medicine, we call it the workup. So the blood testing or the imaging that should get done to help the specialist isn't done before you see them. And we can do that for you so that when you get to the specialist, we kind of call putting a ribbon on it. You have a nice ribbon on the case. The patient has been worked up fully, and the specialist can then do what they do best, help on a very specialized, cutting edge of medicine amount of care. You know, I really value what you said because so many people who come to me after going on the Internet and not meeting or talking with their primary care physician thinking they have some life-threatening situation they think they have ALS or multiple sclerosis when it may be something fairly minor and they've lost sleep over it and things like that 
Um, Josh, thank you. Thanks for spending time with us today and for everything you do in our community. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you back on again to talk a little bit more about internal medicine and primary care. Oh, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. I very much enjoyed this. That was my guest today, uh, Dr. Josh Mosdale. I want to take time to uh, thank uh, our studio producer, Anthony Dorenzo, has been on the board. Jeff Chandler's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit, and we're going to start working a little bit with COVID recovery. Okay, how do we get back to where we were? Things like weight gain, right? People are calling it the quarantine or the COVID-19. So we're going to talk to some people about how we get our bodies back in shape now that we're getting back out there. Next up on WTIC is going to be Garden Talk with Len. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.